Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, here on webtalkradio.net. We have a really special guest today on the show, but if you're first-time listeners, I'd like to say a very special welcome and tell you a little bit about the show. Kitchen Chat, food for the senses and food for the soul. Each week, We have a guest come into the kitchen. Usually I'm actually recording from my kitchen, but tonight I'm recording with you here at Barrington Area Library in Barrington, Illinois. And thank you so much for hosting us today for this live event. Anyway, each week we have cookbook authors, celebrity chefs, foodies, uh, well-known people, and, and just people who love to cook to share their passion for food. So I'm especially excited to introduce you to a very special guest this week, Nancy Woodruff, who came in from New York City in person, and she is going to share with us about how to cook a book, the best recipe (laughs) in cooking a book, and finding your way or baking your way to publishing, especially in this unusual Um, industry these days, the ever-changing. And she's also going to share from her book, a wonderful book, uh, now in paperback, called My Wife's Affair, and share some insight in terms of what it was like to write this. So you definitely will stay tuned for this episode of Kitchen Chat on webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining us today, and Nancy, welcome to the kitchen. Thank you, Margaret. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for being here, and I'm just so thrilled. Um, We have in the audience, and and perhaps those listeners... um, on webtalkradio.net are aspiring writers. Uh, You've always loved the idea of writing, and and it's so available these days with blogging and and just being able to express yourself. And we have with us, and I'd like to acknowledge, the Barrington Writers Workshop um, group. Those with the Barrington Writers Workshop group, could you please raise your hand? Oh, terrific. So hopefully you'll have a lot of questions for Nancy on this. But let's start this discussion about the best recipe for baking your book (laughs) and getting published. Tell us, first of all, how did you get into publishing? Well, this is my second book. My first book was published uh, about 10 years before this one. And I I had worked in publishing, but I'd always, my entire life, wanted to be a writer. Really, my entire life. It's one of those things you just know. Um, And so I spent a long time, I like to use the word as an apprentice writer, where you write, you study writing, you work with other writers, you get feedback, and when you're ready, you move toward publishing. And it's, it is definitely a movement toward publishing. It's not a very quick and easy. At least it wasn't for me, and it isn't for most of the writers that I know. It's a long, slow uh, process with some blind alleys and dead ends and mostly roundabouts. Um, I'm using the wrong metaphor. I'm just using a cooking <laughs> metaphor. I'm using a traffic <laughs> metaphor. Um, so mostly you, you, you spend a lot of time working with your material and writing it, and that's definitely the, the greatest pleasure of all. And then publishing it is what comes next. It's not 
uh, it's not the same for everybody, it's not the same process, but there are certain steps that you have to follow. And let's definitely go through those steps, and it is like a recipe. You have a cookbook, and, and there's certain things that you do have to follow. You can always add your little bit of spice and flair to, to the meal as well, but there are some certain basic structures and elements. Um, so what would be the first recommendation for those aspiring writers in the audience? Well, the, the very first thing to do is to be able to have whatever you've written, whether it's a poem, a short story, a novel, uh, you know, a trilogy, no matter how small or how big it is, you have to be able to be able to tell yourself that it's the best you can possibly make it. Because there are plenty of people along the way who'll tell you what's wrong with it. And they could be right, they could be wrong, they, but there are a lot of critics. Um, so you have to be able to defend yourself. So you don't want to say, oh, I've worked on this for a while and it seems ready, so I'm going to send it off. And that's a good way to become very disappointed because you have to be so sure that it's right. Then you start sharing it with other people. Um, so, I, sorry. So there's, a, I guess, a type of toothpick per se. You would stick into that uh, book that's baking in the oven to see if it is ready. And you need to be confident in terms of, you know what, I feel good about uh, the position it's in right now, and I think it is definitely ready to be sent off to the publisher. And then that is something that's important. So an important ingredient, you would say, in cooking a book is confidence. Yes. And also, that's the point where you want to find those two or three trusted readers who care about you and care about your work and are willing to give you their opinion. And I, I tell my students this, I also teach writing, and I tell them, find two or three people who you trust, and that's important, and who have good taste, and let them read it first and see what they have to say. If they say it's ready, then it's ready. If they say you've got to go back in the kitchen and add some extra special sauce, um, you better do that too. And once you, you have these two or three people who've really, who, who act as kind of your coaches and say, yes, send it out, then you're ready to go public. And the first thing you have to do is find not an editor, not a publisher, but a literary agent. And that often proves to be the most time-consuming part of the whole process because there are many literary agents and you'll find one that you are convinced is your dream agent. They've published the 10 best books you've ever read. You think they're going to be the perfect person. You send it to them. And now in the days of email, you, you know, you used to have to go down to the photocopy shop, have the manuscript photocopied, go to the post office, spend a fortune on post, and, you know, send it away, wait three months, you might get a little letter. Now you can actually, everything's done by email. You can send your manuscript and conceivably get an answer that day or the next day from someone, whether they want to yeah. pursue it or not. So you have to be ready. Right. And technology has changed quite a bit about the writing process. And we will definitely discuss ebooks and everything at that point. But if we can kind of step back for a second, because maybe for those uh, who are trying to find some trusted friends to, to let them read. Um, do you recommend, and I'm just so glad that there are uh, people here from the Barrington Writers Workshop, do you find that that is a helpful um, first step as well? And were you involved in, in some type of writer's workshop group? Definitely. Uh, with this book, I wrote this book while I was living in London, and I was part of a writer's group. There were 
five of us, and we would meet every maybe six weeks or so, and all of us were working on books. And the rule was you could, you had to read whatever the person gave you. It could be 30 pages, it could be 500 pages, you had to read it. And then we would reconvene and, and talk about the work. And it was so valuable, so, and we were very varied. One person in the group had published four novels, one person had never published a word. Um, so all over the place, but very good readers, very caring people. And those were the people who, who helped me, plus a couple of other friends once I returned to the US, but they really helped me with this book. And I think a writer's group is the best way to go um, because you'll get this regular support, people who are on your side, um, not people who are not there to judge you, and they're trying to help you make your work be the best it can be. Right. within your own goals and, and plans. Right. And I would recommend, and, and whatever ideas you might have too, is for listeners to check with their local libraries. I think that could be a wonderful resource to check in to see if there are any writing groups in the area with whom they can connect. And do you have any other suggestions and resources on that? Well, I know there are many, many online writing groups. There's a, a new group. Have you heard of She Writes? Yeah. Yes, so that's, I think they just celebrated their second anniversary, or might even be only their first, but they have just taken off. It's for women writers, and it's a great network to find readers, to, to, to find people to talk about various issues with writing. I think it's shewrites.com. That's for the women. I don't know about the men. I don't think there's a he writes. <laughs> Maybe you can start one. But, there, but there, there are lots of things online. Um, also, if you know one person who is a writer, you can say, let's start a writing group. That's how the one in London worked. And somehow we, we each kind of reached out to a couple of people, and they said, I'm not really interested, but I know somebody else. And pretty soon you have a group of five or six people. You really don't want to be too big, because then you don't get enough time to share your work. Um, you want to have, I mean, selfishly, I wanted people to read my work every three or four months, not once a year. Right. And I guess another idea, too, is if you don't have access to a writer's group, maybe a reader's group. I know there are a lot of book clubs. Are there any members of book clubs here today? Great. Yes, and you convene together, and, and I think that might be another idea if you need someone to read to, to approach a local uh, book club or join a book club and, and see if they might have some insight. Because a lot of times, really, you know, readers are secret writers, too, and just a little encouragement. <laughs> They're ready to share the writing. And speaking of encouragement, we want to encourage you here today and those listening who are aspiring writers and aspiring cooks as well on Kitchen Chat. What was the best word of encouragement that someone gave you along the way in terms of your writing? That, you know, it's interesting. I, there are certain things that stick in your mind that you've heard from teachers, from other writers, from friends. And I think that... The, the best thing I remember is surrender to the material, which sounds kind of abstract, but it really means when you know what you're writing about, when you have your subject, you have your characters, your idea, let it take you over for a bit. Don't feel like you have to be the one in charge, the one in control. Um, and I suppose it's the same when you're a really great cook, which I am not. Um, <laughs> but it, it's the same with you don't always want to follow a recipe and do things a certain way. You want to experiment, and you have to kind of let things 
let things marinate, let things bubble, see what's going to happen. And it's the same thing with, with writing. If you're too much in charge from the very start, you're not going to get in those great surprises that you really want as a writer, where suddenly a character will do something you hadn't anticipated him doing, and you have to scramble and figure out how you're going to make this work. Um, so you kind of have to let the material dictate to you for a while. Eventually, you have to be in charge, but at right. the beginning, you just surrender to it and say, okay, what's going to happen with this? That is great advice. Surrender to the material. And I love the way that you approached uh, your book, My Wife Sophia, which is now in paperback, how you wrote this from a different perspective. You wrote it from the husband's perspective of his wife having an affair. Could right. you maybe share a little bit about what compelled you to have that character tell the story? It's, it's hard to trace back and think exactly what happened. I know there was a moment where I knew he had to tell the story, and so many people tried to talk me out of it. I can't tell you how many people said, no, you have to write it from the woman's point of view because she's the one who had the affair. And I thought, well, that would be kind of easy to do, but I, I don't want something easy. I want a bit of a challenge. And so having to come up, you know, having to try and write in a male voice, trying to think how a man would react to the situation and try and make it realistic, that was my challenge. And I really clung to that, even though many people said, no, do it the other way, the easy way. It seemed a very elemental part of what I was doing. Um, the husband who's telling the story is a writer, and he's trying to, in a way, write the story of what happened to his marriage, what happened with his wife, even though he wasn't the one there every minute witnessing the actual events. So it was, uh, it was something I knew I had to do, and I, and I didn't let anyone talk me out of it. And you kept that very important ingredient of confidence. And because of your confidence, that very important part to have in, in right. cooking a book, you were able to stick to what you really felt would ultimately work. And another fascinating aspect of Nancy Woodruff's book is the parallel story of a, a nonfiction historical <laughs> event going on with Dora Jordan. And it's fascinating. Could you just share a little bit about that element and how you were able to weave in the uh, historical side of it? Sure. The main character in the book is an actress, and she get, gets a role, and it's her first role in a few years. Um, and the role she's playing is the role of Dora Jordan in a one-woman show about Dora Jordan's life. Dora Jordan is somebody that most of you probably haven't heard of and who I had never heard of, but is actually a fascinating, fascinating historical character. She was probably the Angelina Jolie of her time, the, the Julia Roberts of her time, the, the most famous actress during the late 18th century. And she also happened to be the mistress of the Duke of Clarence, who later became a king of England. And at the time, that was a pretty common thing. Actresses were uh, sort of newly, they were, they were maybe a step or two above prostitutes in that kind of world. <laughs> at least that was the impression. It wasn't so long before that that women weren't even allowed on the stage, that men had to play the parts of women. And... Mm -hmm. So once they let women into the theater, they, even though they were revered in one way and worshipped for their beauty and their talent, 
Socially, they didn't have the highest standing. Hmm. So she was not obviously someone that this duke could marry. She was n not his social equal. But they were, from everything I, just, I read, they appeared to be very much in love. They had ten children together. She already had three from previous relationships, as they say in the modern parlance. Right. <laughs> um, so she had 13 children, and yet she managed to be the most famous comic actress of her time. Um, and she fascinated me because I thought, here was this woman. She would have a baby, then she would go back on stage a couple weeks later. And she had, a, and she had miscarriages, so she was pretty much pregnant for 20 solid years of her life. And yet she, she was acting constantly and also making a lot of money, so much money that she supported this duke who was not the brightest um, royal <laughs> in, the, in the world and also had a, a penchant for gambling and other things. So he was a bit of a, a ne'er-do-well, um, but they seemed to have a happy domestic relationship for 20 years they were together. And I wanted this, I, I wrote a play about this woman's life and I weaved it into the book. That was really another part of it. So I had a play within the novel and that was another thing people tried to talk me out of too. Um, and I stuck with it because I really believed in this character and I wanted her story to parallel the modern story. And it even further parallels a more modern story of today because um, Dora Jordan uh, is uh, I guess, a, or, or rather, the Prime Minister of England now, David Cameron, is a direct descendant, is that correct, yes. of Dora Jordan. And uh, the Duke was the uncle, is that right, of Queen Victoria. So it all kind of ties in, ties in nicely. Lots of spice and sizzle, I guess, to use a cooking right. <laughs> term within that. So that was really a challenge within a, of itself, to write a play within a story, and to have the story told in a completely different type of narrator's voice where everyone was encouraging you to maybe not go that way. But you stuck with it. And then what is so amazing is that um, Nancy ultimately ended up publishing her book with Amy Einhorn. And was yours the first book that came out right after The Help? Because that is the publisher of The Help. I'm sure you've heard of that. No, the story, well. the story with Amy Einhorn is she started her own imprint at Penguin, which is a you know, huge, huge right. publishing corporation. And that's every editor's dream to have their own imprint, meaning they have their name on this book spine, Amy Einhorn Books. And she started her imprint... Uh, the first book she published was The Help, which was in, uh, I think, February of 2009. And she bought my book in the fall of 2008. So prior to her publishing any books at all, she bought mine. And The Help came out, and that suddenly made Amy Einhorn very famous for having such excellent taste. The Help has been on the bestseller list, I think, that entire time for two solid years, two and a half years. And then the movie is playing at the Catlow to further <laughs> attest to the fame of that story. <laughs> um, but Amy has only published, I think, maybe 20 books in that time from, from then until now. And so mine was maybe her eighth or ninth book that she had published. And she is a fabulous editor. She's really the old-time editor who actually reads the book and sends you copious notes 
and calls you up on the phone with news. And she's just a dynamo with incredible energy and has, I think, pretty good taste in books. And she does both fiction and nonfiction. And what's really fascinating is one of these, one of my friends from this writer group that I mentioned in London um, is also being published by Amy Einhorn. His, his name is Alex George, and he's being published in, I think it's January or February, with his book called A Good American. Even though he's English, he's writing a very American story about jazz and um, yeah, so it, it, she's a she's a very she's really a wonderful editor. I feel blessed to have worked with her. And congratulations on that. And if you could kind of take us through the journey of how to ultimately get to the editor. And you'd mentioned before you need to first of all have that confidence, finish your book, your material, and then find an agent. And right. how does one go about that process? Because in today's environment, it really is essential. That is an essential ingredient in terms of cooking the book, is to find an right. agent. The agent is, is almost the most important ingredient because publishers don't read manuscripts anymore unless they're represented by agents. So you can't send, if you tried to reach an editor by email or by post, your, your material would go unread. There's, they don't have any time, and they really rely on agents to be the arbiters of taste and to send them, to, to wade through the slush pile and to send them what they deem worthy. And when an agent has a very good reputation and, and she or he sends out a book, that's going to be read immediately. It doesn't mean that the, it's going to be bought, it's going to be published, but it will be read. And that's what you want, of course, is to have your book read. Um, so to find an agent, you, you know, there are lots of places to find them online, all sorts of um, sites for, I think it's agentquery.net is a good one. Um, you can find the agents. And they, most of them have websites now. Some of the older ones who, are, who don't want new clients are harder to find. But most of the young agents who are actively seeking clients have websites. And the best thing to do is to find out who represents authors you like to read. And so you go through books in the bookstore and see, oh, she's represented by so-and-so. Or you can look on the author's websites. Everything can be done now just with the computer. You don't have to do so much legwork. Um, and then you send out query letters mm -hmm. to those agents, and you spend a lot of time writing a one-page letter describing your book and in such a way that makes the agent salivate and need to read that book right away. And so you'll send out a query letter. And again, because of email, you know, you can send it out. And I've had responses within minutes. People have said, yes, send me the book. Or, no, we're not interested at this time, which usually means they're not reading anything new because they're too overwhelmed. And then once they want to see it, then you send the whole book. And then you wait and wait and wait. Or again, you could hear, you could hear back pretty quickly. I... I went through a lot of, I sent out a lot of queries and had several agents read the manuscript and they always have to come up with a reason why they don't like it or want it that makes it sound like it's a great book still but they just don't quite want it. Um, but eventually the person who does want it will, will say so. And when I sent out this book to Maria Massey who eventually took it, she wrote back within a day, I think, and said, send it to me. I sent it to her maybe on a Friday, and on a Monday she called me. 
So things can happen very quickly with agents. And that was after months and months of sending out and getting a lot of wishy-washy or responses. So it's just about finding the right person right. is what I'm trying to say. It could be... Um, it could be the first person you write to. It could be the 49th person you write to. You just have to be persistent. And keep that confidence. And do you have like a, they call it an elevator pitch in mind, if, if you do run into someone at um, a social occasion or whatever, you have a quick uh, opportunity to pitch. Uh, should you have that formulated in your mind as well? Yes, and that should be part of your query letter. Really, the first paragraph of your query letter should describe the book in such a way that everyone wants to read it. It should be compelling, it should be very well written and well spoken if you're going to meet somebody in an elevator, and, um, which Margaret is very famous for doing. She meets everybody in elevators. And uh, so, she, so clearly you must have an elevator pitch. Well, you know, I just like to talk and I have curiosity here. But I guess the pitch, to put it in kitchen terms, you know, we've always enjoyed the smell of cookies baking in the oven, right? That's how you want to appeal then to to the person to whom you're pitching, the agent or the, or the editor, to where they really will be enticed and you know really find it a delicious um, opportunity to. You're, yeah, you're really selling uh, the product to to them, and also this is fiction. If you're dealing with nonfiction, there's kind of a whole other way of doing that, which is you try to build up your brand as a you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, you try to publish short articles, and then you will, you know, you can go to a, 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 an agent and say, you know, these are, these are the things I've written, these are the people who are following me, this is the attention I'm getting, and this is what I have in mind now. And that's all about building up the brand, building up the platform, building up the credibility. Um, do any of you have Twitter? or Facebook. Are you on Twitter or Facebook? Yeah, so that connecting, because it's about connecting, and especially in this very much of a digital age, would you say that's important to be able to yes. um, say, like you said, uh, I have so many followers on Twitter and, and all of that, and look for opportunities. I think you said another wonderful thing as well, too, is for those of you listeners and, and participants here today, who are pursuing nonfiction, anyone interested in nonfiction, okay, to look for those opportunities, as Nancy said, in terms of doing an article here, there, and there's so many opportunities, perhaps even for the library to do a, a little article for a newsletter, and just to get published and add that on your writer's resume, which is a great step in term, an ingredient in terms of... Um, it's, yeah, it's very there. important. And in fact, this past weekend, I don't know how many people subscribe to or read the New York Times, but a very good friend of mine published a short piece in the modern, there's a, a column called Modern Love that they have every Sunday in New York Times, and it's about you know, people and, and how they've fallen in love or love stories. And she had a piece published, and she happens to be writing a book about meeting and meeting your mate after age 35. So she has this book proposal, and she published this short piece. And the response was explosive. You know, she said she had a couple of hundred emails almost immediately from readers. And because you can find everything on the web, a couple of 
editors had gone on the web, seen who, who she was represented by, contacted her agent. So even though this came out on a Sunday, on Monday there were three requests for, you know, can I see that book she's writing? And this is really shows you the power of getting your name out in a small way. I mean, the New York Times is not a small publication, obviously. A lot of people read this column. But because of this column, she's probably going to find herself with a very nice book deal, um, fingers crossed. And did she find herself with a very nice well, this, match as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this is yes, she did. Oh, good. Very nice match. And uh, so she's, it's a win-win situation um, yeah. for her. But so, this kind of thing can, can happen also. And so you could maybe perhaps use that uh, for fiction as well, because with the nonfiction, that's a great way to build up credibility, but a way of promoting is maybe to pursue an article that's in line with the topic about what you're writing in a novel and kind of tie that in as a promotional way? Yes. Okay. You're sort of stirring up interest in the topic even before you introduce the novel or the, the book that you're writing so that people don't even know that they're waiting for it and then they're you pounce on them. And I love that you use stirring up interest. <laughs> Thank you. Since this is Kitchen Chat, and before we take questions, I do have to ask about food. Now, you have a little bit of cooking going on in the book. Could you tell us a little bit about the menu featured in there? Well, Margaret asked me, so, you know, is there a, a lot of cooking in the book? Are there a lot of, you know, sort of wonderful ingredients that you want to talk about? And I went through the book just before I came here, and I looked at all the times that there are meals going on. And so there's a meal at a Soho noodle bar. There's a restaurant in Marlebone Lane. The book takes place in London. There's a French cafe on Thackeray Street. There's pizza ordered into a hotel room. Um, there's fish and chips at a pub. Toast and tea off Kensington High Street. Uh, and tea at the Kenwood House Tea Shop. You see the similarity here. Nobody's cooking. They're all eating out or ordering in. Uh, there was one homemade meal, veal piccata, made by uh, Georgie, the actress in the book. But the only reason she made the dinner is because she was desperately doing anything she could to try and save her marriage. So I have to say, my book fails miserably in terms of being one of those books with recipes and wonderful cooking going on. It's a lot of eating out. Um, I think there's one other time where they have oatmeal, perhaps, that's homemade. <laughs> other than that, it's a lot of restaurant dining. Well, but you did a lot of the cooking within the book. <laughs> and real quickly, I'd love to hear about um, the neat food co-op that you're involved with. I just think that's such an interesting concept uh, within Brooklyn. Could you share with the audience here today and with the foodies out there listening as well? This is a really interesting twist in terms of, of Brooklyn. Right, right. This is right across the street from our house is the Park Slope Food Co-op, which has been in existence since 1973. And people who don't live in the neighborhood think we're all crazy because in order to shop at this um, grocery store, you have to work there. You have to work there about three hours a month. Um, my job is uh, chop, cutting up cheese or bagging raisins and dry other dried fruit. But you can work in the checkout. You can unload the trucks, you can do all sorts of things. And for that, um, for that amount of work, you're entitled to shop at this wonderful food co-op that offers really fresh local produce that's, once you've eaten there, 
and you have to go to the normal grocery store in New York. It tastes like cardboard. Really, it's wonderful, and it's a great idea. It's also the 15,000 members, so it's a great community resource. They have readings there. They have recipe clubs. They have concerts. They have all sorts of events at the co-op to gather people in the community together in addition to having this great the, the great food there. It's a it's very crowded and very small and can drive you crazy sometimes, but it's you know it's nothing like the jewel here in Barrington, let's put it that way. It's probably about a twentieth of the size wow. with fifteen thousand people coming and going. But it's wonderful, wonderful food. And a sense of community and yes. food really is what brings people together across the world. You know, into the kitchen. Isn't everything always happening in the kitchen? <laughs> it seems like you have those big family discussions and you learn so much. And and I'm just so glad you're here with us in the kitchen and kitchen chat today and, and sharing your expertise on writing. Is there anything else you would like to, and before we go to questions, to, to say to the aspiring writers and the avid readers in the audience and who are listening to the podcast? Well, I guess I would really say that, you know, confidence and perseverance are the most important things because you'll have plenty of people telling you why you can't do something or how you shouldn't do something or how you should do it differently. Or why don't you write a book just like that, you know, John Grisham book or something, you know, <laughs> and something that even if you wanted to do it, you probably couldn't do. People will give you all sorts of wacky advice, but you have to stick with what you think you want to do, what you know you can do. And prepare for rejection. Find those people who are going to support you through some rejection. And then really celebrate, really celebrate when you find that literary agent or that magazine editor or that book editor who's ready to take your work on and to make it more public. That sounds great. And is there any type of food that is your sustenance in writing? Do you have uh, Do you have to have chocolate? Do you have to <laughs> have cookies? I mean, uh, how does that you know, work? I think it's for me. It's more music. Um, okay. But music is the food of love, said William Shakespeare. So yes. that's okay. <laughs> uh, and lots of tr- food is a good way to postpone and procrastinate writing when you're really stuck you just walk down into the kitchen <laughs> right. and open the refrigerator um, like anything it's a it's a very it, writers spend a lot of time just you know, sitting in front of the computer all day or in my neighborhood because many people have very small apartments they write in cafes with their laptops and tea and coffee. Um, I'd say that's probably, coffee is probably the number one sustenance item in, um, in Brooklyn that writers need because they have to, you know, for, for the price of a cup of coffee, they can sit there for about three hours before they'll get kicked out. That's about the, the average. Um, and free Wi-Fi too. For and free Wi-Fi. research. Yes, yes. exactly. Great. Oh, well, thank you for sharing this with us. And is there anyone in the audience today who might have a question? And if so, if you could just come and um, use the microphone up here so our listeners on the podcast can can hear as well. Uh, My question is, uh, how do you protect your copyright and your material and your ideas as you disseminate them, send it to agents? Does that worry you? Does it concern you? Well, traditionally, people would write, you know, copyright their work as they sent it out. Just write, I would write copyright Nancy Woodruff and the year on anything that I'm sending out. 
and that has traditionally worked. I can see that it, it's more of a concern now because manuscripts are coming and going over the internet so quickly. Um, but I think that there's, you know, unless you send a, a lock document, which I think there's a way to do, um, most people really rely on just self-copywriting the work and n trusting the people that they're sending the work to. Did you receive any legal counsel about this before you sent stuff out, or was that a concern of yours? No, it really wasn't. It really wasn't, because I think there's a, it would be pretty easy to prove that you'd written the work if somebody were to plagiarize you. You know, you have the records on your computer and the creation dates of the documents, and maybe I'm being naive, but I, it hasn't come up with, with any discussions I've had with other writers either. And are you working on a particular type of manuscript? or Ideas, scribbles, you know, failed attempts. Uh -huh. And where is your favorite place to write? Anywhere my laptop works, I guess. Or anywhere a pencil and pen works. I write down ideas all the time. That's terrific. Well, okay. good luck in pursuing those. Does anyone else have a question and, that you'd like to ask Nancy? Any of the writers in here? And Nancy... While we wait for another question, could you tell us a little bit about ebooks and how this has kind of changed all of publishing, um, what it means for those who are aspiring writers, and and um, how that works? And is your book, uh, my, a wife's, my Wife's Affair, available now on ebook? Yes, yeah, it is. And I think most books are. Um, I think initially there was a lot of discussion about were ebooks going to make regular books obsolete, and that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, I, I believe the most recent um, figures I saw show that there's been actually an increase now in books being sold, some of them e-books. The writer does not earn as much money in terms of royalties from an e-book, but I think you will end up selling more books that way. So on the whole, I don't think it makes a big difference to writers. Also, I have, I know of many people who have gone to straight to self-publishing via ebook, which you used to have to, if you wanted to self-publish, you had to go through one of these they call them vanity publishers, and you had to print so many copies. Now you can self-publish an ebook, and if you, you can do so through Amazon, I think, and, and other various other places, and it's not that expensive. And even if you sell a hundred copies of your book, there are a hundred readers who have now read your book. And people, some people have turned to that because traditional publishing is not always that easy to, to, to break into. So there really seems to be a huge growth on the technological side, not only with e-books, but in building a brand online. And you have a website, nancywoodruff.com. Yes, nancywoodruff.com, definitely visit that. And have you seen a whole different change in terms of marketing a book once you do have the product? Um, what do you do online to promote it? I don't do nearly enough. Um, people who are very, very serious about it, it's an exhausting enterprise because not only do you have to write the work, but then you have to promote it. You have to um, Twitter is a, is a great way to build a following. You have to be able to, well, you're a big Twitter user. I'd like to tweet. Yes, you have to, you have to be able to encapsulate your ideas into 140 characters several times a day. Is that how often you 
Yeah. I tried. And that, in fact, is a great writing exercise. And I encourage people to try to tweet and join Twitter. It's free, twitter.com, because it gives you the discipline, you're right, of having to say what you really want to say in the shortest amount of way that you can say it and still get your point across. And Right. And it's a, it's a great way to build up a following um, on Twitter with other writers, yes. too. And yes. we... At, Amy Einhorn writers have their own little Twitter group, too, and we're always communicating. I don't do it nearly enough, but uh, some of the other writers are always talking to each other and giving each other support and saying, you know, have you read this? And it, it it's important to build that community because then those writers do support you and get your name out, and um, you're able to just get more exposure than you would. And building your platform. Right. And there are other things. There are you know, blogs. Writers will go on. They'll have blog tours where on a given day various bloggers. And there, there are a lot of serious book bloggers that I I didn't know about this until I published this book. Um, there are people who publishers actually send books to to review for their blogs. And these aren't magazines or journals or newspapers that have paid subscribers they are people just like us who love books and write about books and read a lot of books and publishers now send them review copies because a a blogger who has a couple of thousand followers might sell a few you know a few dozen books Right. If they if the book is well reviewed and you get free books too, which is right. great for the person who's blogging, and maybe that is a way to break into um, a platform in terms of if you love to read and you also enjoy writing, to become an avid blogger about other people's books and then get the exposure and the following and and you get uh, the credibility in writing and, and all of that too. That's a great idea, Nancy, that that you bring up. As a reminder, do any of you have blogs? I'm I'm curious. You do great, and and um, do you update it daily, weekly, and? I update it. Great, great. That's wonderful. And and I'm just wondering, are a lot of people then working on magazine articles? If you can, anyone have magazine articles ideas or uh, nonfiction ideas? Great. Um, do you have any questions for, for Nancy? Please come up. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I love to write. I'm a grandma. I have 10 grandchildren. I don't know how to tweet. I don't know <laughs> how to blog. I have to do all of that in addition to writing. Is this now the fact of publishing? Is this the marketing world that you have to learn? And how do you learn that? I mean, I actually had to have somebody teach me how to tweet because I didn't understand it and how to make a tiny URL. and It's an entirely new language for me. And I was pretty resistant to it. Um, but you do, you do have to learn it. You don't have to, but it's, it's a great way. And it's not that difficult once you have somebody, you have to show, have one of your grandchildren show yes. you how to do this. <laughs> or better yet, you know, pay them to, to write your tweets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ten Lots cents a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because it's really, it's really amazing. If a friend of mine who's the book friend I mentioned earlier, Alex, whose book's coming out in January, 
he was given the advice, you have to blog every single day. And he started out doing it. Now I notice he does it. It's, it's too exhausting. You can't, you know, you can't. He's also a lawyer. He has a full-time job. You cannot keep up with, with all of this. It could be a full-time job, just tweeting and blogging and Facebooking. And there are other things, Tumblr and Flickr and... The new Google one. You know, yes. Yeah, let's face it. You, nobody can live like that. Uh, but you have to make your choices and decide which platform you're going to pursue actively so that you can build a bit of a following. Um, and also, finding a specialty is really helpful. If you become the writer who writes about uh, you know, yoga, or if you're the writer who writes about... Uh, there's, a, there's a blogger who... Um, well, she has a website, and she featured my book at one point. She writes about scandalous women in history, of which, let me tell you, there were, were many, apparently, because she <laughs> has this really vibrant um, website, and she just brings up women that we would like to know about and may not know about through history that have created scandal in one way or the other. Uh, so if you have a specialty, an obsession, you can really build up a following in, a following that way. That is a great idea. Food is a great food is a great oh. way because you, you know, people love recipes and and they love uh, you know to the Julia Child. You have to rem- remind me the name of the book. It was a, Julia, oh, Julia, Julia, Julia. Julia. Yeah, yes. that started out as a blog, um, right. and then it turned into a book, and then it turned into a movie, and that's a, a very valid way for people to get into. Definitely. And first of all, congratulations on 10 grandchildren. That's just (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) Well, that's just amazing. And also, there are ways to link the technology. For example, whenever I tweet on the Twitter, it automatically updates my Facebook. So you can link it where you're not having to go to every single medium to to type in what you're trying to update and uh, blog about. There are ways to link it. I would be delighted. In fact, that is very easy. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And maybe, I don't know if it's a resource here at Barrington Library that, wonderful. So definitely. Great. Yeah, so check the library for those listeners here at Kitchen Chat on webtalkradio.net. You know, the library, the local library is a wonderful resource uh, for writers and, of course, readers as well. But uh, they're so a great place of learning, truly, truly is. So definitely check that out. And is there any other um, word of wisdom you would like to, to share with today's participants and the listeners about writing? I'm, you know, I'm worried that I, I'm talking about technology too much when, in fact, I'm not the greatest practitioner of it because I think you can, you can write a great book and the great book can find a great publisher. That still happens. It's, it's just that it's harder now for editors to sell books to their marketing department. It's harder for literary agents to sell books to editors. Therefore, it's harder for writers to sell books to literary agents. So you want to give yourself whatever kind of edge you can. And coming with, um, you know, if you're on a, you could be on a lecture circuit or maybe you speak frequently about uh, a certain topic or you have a university affiliation, anything like that, (coughs) something in the community, a role in the community, 
anything that you can bring along with you beside the actual work is going to be a big boost um, because they well they talk about platforms they want writers with right. with platforms already but somebody i.e. J.K. Rowling can sit in a coffee shop and write a book and send it to publishers and have it rejected and rejected and rejected and then finally accepted and you know the end of the, of the story that still I think that still does happen yes. um, especially with fiction because everybody wants to discover the next big writer the next you know famous writer and let's face it people get into publishing because they love books they don't get into it because they want to make a million dollars a year it's not really going to happen to them um, so they are looking for books that they love and they're looking for um, something that they respond to personally right. so I think writing a good book and then being able to pitch it with a good letter um, is still going to yield good results for writers and it's all about sharing your story. And do you feel that that's, that's an important element in the storytelling, whether it's fiction or nonfiction? Even if it is a nonfiction, you, you, you need to write and share a story in which people could relate and, and connect, because ultimately it's about connecting. And we all love stories. And I, I'm always telling my students this. I teach mostly essay writing, nonfiction writing. And when I talk to students about essays, I say, you know, don't begin an essay. Since the dawn of time, man has pondered the value of, you know, freedom. And nobody wants to read that. But if you start to say, you know, my grandfather was born in a small village in Lebanon, then suddenly you want to hear that story. And you may be going to the same place with the story, making the same point, but we all respond to narrative. Right. And and I always tell them, if you're sitting at a restaurant, and maybe nobody does this but me, and, and you hear somebody next to you saying, I've got to tell you this story about so-and-so. You want to hear the story. <laughs> Whereas if they said, you know, I want to share with you my ideas about the future of, you know, the economic... <laughs> you're, like, moving over to the other side, because you don't want to hear this person just sort of pontificate about ideas. You want to hear the story. I think that's really human nature. So editors are looking for stories. Publishers are looking for good stories, if you have a good story. Um, and if not, you can always eavesdrop, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I guess telling a story is like sitting in the kitchen, bringing it back to kitchen, or kitchen chat here, is sitting down with your best friend. Do you, do you envision that you're just sitting down with someone and sharing the story, like you said, with the, the, the coffee shop or the, or the restaurant. Is that a good way to, to approach writing a book or writing an article, just as if you're telling the story to someone who is sitting in the kitchen with you? I think that's true. I mean, certainly, I don't think people start writing books thinking of their 600 Twitter followers at all, you know, or their, or their, or their 1,100 Facebook friends or whoever it is they have. I think they think about that one reader who really cares about what they have to say, that one, you know, the one person who listens. And if you have that person in mind, then you'll write the good book. That's great. And congratulations, Nancy Woodruff, for writing a wonderful book, My Wife's Affair. 
with Amy Einhorn imprint and it is now available on paperback. I will definitely uh, leave a link on the Kitchen Chat website here on webtalkradio.net so you can link to that and uh, be able to find more information on Nancy. And Nancy, is there anything else you're working on that we should uh, be looking for in the future? Well, I have a nonfiction book that nonfiction is different from fiction in that you don't have to write the whole book before you sell it. You write a proposal which makes it a little bit less work. Um, and so I, I have a proposal that's going out very soon. As soon as we can agree on a subtitle, mm-hmm. um, it will be going out to publishers, trying to find a publisher. And that um, should hopefully happen the next few weeks. And then I'm also finishing up a middle grade slash young adult book, so a book for about 9 to 12-year-olds. Um, about It's about the Iraq War mm-hmm. and... Uh, those are the two things, really. Well, that sounds great. And any uh, good food in any of the books? <laughs> ah, let me think. I'm, I think I have to disappoint you again, oh, Margaret. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> you know how to cook a book, though. <laughs> so thank you so much, Nancy Woodruff, for being here on Kitchen Chat today on webtalkradio.net. This is Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so glad the participants here at Barrington Area Library are here to listen today. And, and thank you, listeners out there on the podcast. Please connect with me, Margaret McSweeney, here on Kitchen Chat. And uh, also, please follow the links to um, check out Nancy Woodruff's books and her upcoming books as well. And if you have any questions, and writing questions, can people reach you via your website? Perfect. Yes, ask questions. That is a great thing to do. And please... um, tune in to Kitchen Chat. Every now and then we have some wonderful guests uh, coming into the kitchen soon including we'll be featuring the Silver Spoon uh, recipe cookbook that's being reissued. In addition uh, we had Lisa Jakelson an award winning baker who was on last week so there are lots of chefs and cookbook authors that are coming here on Kitchen Chat. But meanwhile thank you listener for, for connecting with us here today and really appreciate hearing from you and please keep in touch and share your favorite recipes with me and and if you have some ingredients for cooking a good book you let us know as well we'd love to hear from you but meanwhile cherish those times in the kitchen with family and friends and as always savor the day thank you so much